good to see Pastor George with us. Good to see you, George. Um, it's always good when other pastors come to critique your talks. Isn't that right, George? <laughs> uh, it's good. It's good. We're getting to know him a little bit better. And somebody. It's good to be back. I haven't been down in a while. Um, it's been a busy summer. Um, who's at the conference? A few, few of you at the conference? Okay. I'm just deciding what talk to do. <laughs> um, uh, first of all, Colin and Leah, that was awesome this morning. A really good time of worship. And uh, it's funny, um, in, our, in our church, uh, you know, in Antrim, we've got a full band and all the rest of it, and sometimes it's nice just to come back to this kind of more intimate setting, and uh, it's really nice for that and stuff. Um, but uh, can I share some testimonies with you? You up for, you up for that? Uh, a, cu- a couple of things. Uh, I know there's people here. Ingrid has one, and that's really good. But um, a couple of absolute cracking testimonies. Um, we've been continuing on a Friday night in revival group meetings on the back of a conference. Um, we didn't really want to do that because there's another meeting. But it just is one of those things where we've just been getting into the place. And uh, we, we, a lady, Jill, has been coming to church for a while. And, um, you know, she, <laughs> she's the salt of the earth. But she's been deaf in one ear for, for 15 years and her ear opened up on, on Friday night. And um, it was one of those where she, I met her yesterday. I was at, uh, getting some lunch and I bumped into her. And she's like, John. She's like shaking me. He's like, it's the weirdest thing ever I can hear out of this ear. And I'm going, yeah, that's, you could pray for healing. And, uh, and she was kind of shocked. And um, just a couple of other real good ones. Eddie Cooks, I mean, you know Eddie, he's a doctor. He's had sciatica for about four and a half years now that has, has kept him in bed some days. And um, uh, a lot of nerve pain. It completely healed and uh, has a no more pain, uh, no more pain in his body. Um, I mean, that's that's two. I could go on and on and on. Um, uh, other had a, a long text message from a guy who was a worship pastor in another church, and um, he'd been going through a difficult time and uh, the church leadership there. And uh, he he just messaged me how the Sunday of the conference just literally rocked his world and he had to go through uh, a whole bunch of stuff just to that and uh, so many testimonies there's a couple of guys who were up from the south of Ireland from Limerick and uh, both of them came with different illnesses and completely healed and testifying around Limerick and so it's just a really good season and um, um, and I don't want us to stop out of that you see historically what happens is we bring these guys in they depart they impart something not depart they impart and uh, and then they depart and um, uh, but sometimes then we just go back to the old status quo. Well, that doesn't happen to us. That happens over there. You know, it's like, you know, by, by the way, all the demons aren't in Africa. They're here too. Uh, and sometimes I think we forget about that. It's like, it's like we got to learn to live in a place of revival. We got to learn to live in that place all of the time. That's why we spend the money, the infrastructure and time to bring guys that get in and, dep- and impart into us. The, the upper room guys I saw in February and um, there's just something very sweet in what they're doing. They come out of uh, a prayer movement. They come out of the 24-7 prayer uh, over here at IHOP, International House of Prayer, and Mike Bickle in that world. And, and the way that their church formed came out of prayer meetings, intercession meetings. And what they did was they would get together on a, on a weekday and, and they would just worship and pray. And the two of them kind of intermangled in and they had all sorts of things come out of that. And a church was birthed out of that. But the, the, the oil of anointing that those guys are carrying is very rich right now. And I, and I spotted that in January and we invited them in. And, um, and something very interesting happened. Um, you know, when we're here, it was like both those groups identified something in our community that they're like, you don't know what you've got. You see, we look often over there for them to do something for us. But they were looking at us going, you've got something here that we desperately want. And I think sometimes in Northern Ireland mentality, we just bag ourselves down like we're the small man and we just hide ourselves under. And that's not the way that God wants us to see ourselves. And I think we have to realize that even though we're small in number in many ways, um, 
structurally and impacting around the world. We're packing a punch. I remember Priscilla Reed uh, giving me a word particularly uh, that we would always punch bigger than our weight group. And I'm saying, well, there's not much bigger than me in weight group, but it, uh, we always punch, punch bigger. And I think there's something happening in all of that. And uh, some really interesting things coming out of the back of that. And, um, and I, want, I want to talk a little bit, I, I know some of you are at the conference, but I, I want to go over this again because I, I, I really think it's important that we understand the heart of revival and, and how it happens. Um, I've yet to get to the end of this talk and the three times I've done it in the last month. Some of you will have heard some of this before, but I'm going to repeat it because, first of all, I think it's worth repeating. And I think, um, you know, Bill Johnson says we never change the subject. When his wife, Benny, passed away, they, um, in that moment, they, he stood up to his family and said, we ain't going to change the subject. And they worshipped for an hour and 45 minutes. And um, even in the midst of loss, that's, that's what we do. And I think we have to remember never to change the subject. Our church was planted on the back of camping around the presence. The Israelites knew something smart. They camped in the presence of Jesus. And a lot of churches have camped around a sermon uh, or they've camped around um, a specific style or a specific group when actually what the Lord said, no, I want you to camp around the presence. And to be honest with you, I've always said this. If two people are up here playing the spoons and the presence of Jesus, then that's what we'll worship to. And I think that's the key in all of this, that we have that. And I want us to improve in our worship. And I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanted to continue to grow that, especially down here. You know, we've, I think we have seven or eight worship bands in Antrim now, our teens. And I want that for here. We, we're talking a lot about that. And we're big stealing and borrowing. And we'll keep big stealing and borrowing until the Lord builds it. And that's what he does. And it's funny how God sets wee things that God up. And, uh, but we want that heart, heartbeat here. But how do you get that? You see, if you're consumers then you'll just come here every Sunday and become fat sheep. And if you know anything about us, you know that, that that's not the type of church we are, which is actually why I think we don't grow. I, because you get a hard time when you come here, you actually have to do something. And I think the seeker-sensitive model over the years was that you know if you invite them to church, then the church becomes responsibility for the discipleship process. And actually, that's not the way the church was ever meant to be. Um, you are called to go and make disciples of the nation, not, not each other and uh, where we help each other and we disciple each other. But the fivefold ministries, they equip the saints for what? Acts of service. So our church heartbeat has always been that. If you're coming to Newcomers Lunch, we'll maybe share a little bit of that today. But um, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Jonah chapter three. Jo- Jonah chapter three. Um, and um, uh, some people don't really believe revival in our time. If you go out to America uh, or you go to other parts of the world, when you mention the word revival, they don't see it the way we do. When, when, when we use the word revival, we tend to think of the three big massive revivals that took place here in Ireland over the years. But actually what happens is they think back to tent crusades in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So when they, they understand revival, and they, don't, they aren't waiting for revival to come. They talk about how they live in revival, revival's here. And I think it is a mindset shift. It took me a while whenever, you know, if you ever had words where we use a word and somebody else uses a word, and even though you're using the same word to mean two different things, and I think there's something like that. You know, when we use words like apostolic or prophetic, that means something entirely differently. So you always have to contextualize what it is. And I, and I, wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about how you get revival uh, in your own life this morning. And uh, um, this is the story that I wanna share with you this morning of one of the largest spiritual awakenings in human history. It's a story of a revival that came to one of the most wicked cities ever known to man, the city of Nineveh. Uh, how wicked was Nineveh? Well, um, it, it was so bad that it stunk to high heaven, so to speak. Like God saw the wickedness of this city 
And interesting, not like Sodom and Gomorrah where they didn't give them a warning, they just nuked them, that was the end of it. He gave Nineveh, the worst city possible, an opportunity to do something. And in chapter one, we read it said, their wickedness has come before me. Their wickedness had reached the highest parts of heaven and was brought before God. And the, the, the Ninevites were legendary for their cruelty. Uh, you read historical uh, records of the Assyrians and how terrible they were. Um, I mean, one of the things that they did when the, the Assyrians were coming to sack uh, your, your town, um, the, the people trembled, they fled. Uh, because what they would do, excuse the graphicness of this, they would literally skin you alive, men, women, and children, and they would bury you in the ground up to your neck, having skinned you, and leave you. And that was kind of the punishment that they did because they wanted people to fear them. But what was happening was, through this whole story, it was uh, over a period of, um, of, of 200 years, the Assyrians were the, the best of the best. They had the best charities. They had uh, the, the best... Um, uh, systems, they had a commercial system, they had the best food, they had the best horses, and they were in charge of the world for about 200 years. And there's a reason why they were in charge of the world was because they were brutal. And in Nineveh, they, they were living off the, the benefits, the goodness of what uh, a controlling army like that brought. And what was happening was now, like every system, you see a power change beginning to happen. And there was this new kid on the block, and they were the Babylonians. And the Assyrians' days were numbered. And you see empires rise and fall all the time. We're in a season right now where, where we've had a, a new monarch and a new uh, uh, prime minister all within a week. And God says that I set and establish government. And it's kind of interesting how fresh, you know, I don't ever get mad prophetic words that are generally for the world. I don't usually get those, but I got this incredible conviction and I think it was Monday or Tuesday of this week where I woke up and I felt the Lord speak very clearly about two things. He said, first of all, and these are chancy when you do words like this because you talk about the future in a way. Uh, the first one I felt that the Lord said he was gonna give uh, Europe a very mild winter. Uh, to benefit his people. I felt like the Lord said that. And also that the war in Ukraine would be done by Christmas. Um, now, when you put that out there, um, you put your head on the, on, on the, on the chopping block. Uh, so often we revere not doing those because when, when they do that in America, it's one thing. When you do it here, you often get, get called all sorts of things, but it just adds to the list of what people already call me. So it's kind of the way it is. Um, and, uh, and when we look at the current state of the world, especially over the last few years, you'll see the shift in world systems. There is a massive global shift taking place right now. And um, are we moving into the end days? Well, I don't really know. And as I always say, I don't have a bone in that dogfight. And if you do, you should get out of it. Okay? Um, uh, so the end time stuff, you know, let God sort that out. You know, I remember telling Rachel, you know, someone said to me, are you a post-millennial or a pan-millennial? I'll be around the theology and know what that means. And Rachel, I remember Rachel said to me, I'm a pan-millennial because it'll all pan out in the end. And, uh, and I think that's a really good theological place to sit sometimes. Uh, but, but whenever you, you see the signs of times, and Jesus did speak about the signs of times, there's something that's begun to happen that, that I've, I've often preached this. We're not, you know, too much theology has us living in these poor end days where we're all going to be destroyed and it's going to be terrible. I actually don't believe that. I think if you go and look at scripture, it's actually the opposite. 
I think we're moving into the greatest days of the greatest revival of the greatest uh, move of God ever in history. That's what I really believe. And I don't think they're going to be terrible days. I think they're going to be great days. And depending on the theology you come from, whether you're raptured and all of these other things, which I don't really believe exist today, um, you move into a place where sometimes I think what happens is we, we end up becoming doom and gloom when actually we're called to be hope bringers and revival carriers. And, 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 and I, I want to say that revival comes in the heart of men first. And I want to give you some things as to what makes revival take place. But God took this incredibly awful city God-forsaken city, where they had everything going right for them. And what you'll find is when there's prosperity, we often forget about God. You only need to look often in the history of the Bible through the Israelites. And how many of you know the Israelites did a massive hokey-cokey over, over the history? They did, they just they sang the hokey-cokey. You know, put one foot in, one foot out. One time they're in and one time they're out. And you read through history, whether they're in and then they're out, and then they're in again and then they're out again. And that's just kind of the way that God worked. And, and, and why was he doing that? Well, because every time God blessed them and brought favor, brought prosperity, they lived in the benefit, and then guess what happened? They all got dang lazy and forgot about God. And we've lived in a season when we've had incredible prosperity. We've got the best, wait, I wouldn't say the best healthcare system, but if you go back to history, we have a healthcare system that works. We have more, more education, more employment, we're financially better off. We've got cars. We've got telephones. We've got things that we are living in the greatest days of, of, of history. You know, not 80 years ago, if you want, if you, you know, we can be in Australia in 30 seconds on, on a Zoom call in 8K high definition, speaking in an instant. You know, 80 years ago, you had to take a ship to, to Australia, which would nearly take you three months if you got there without dying with dysentery. And, and, you know, we, we forget how far we've come. But the problem is the world's gone and got itself into a big twist. And it's got itself into a prosperous state that actually they've forgotten about their God. And all you see is the idols. This is no different to history. And we see all these idols coming up. And when you put idols into your lives, you start to lose your identity. When, when you put false idols up, the identity and who you are in God gets replaced by the idols of the world. And you see that through biblical history. And, and I want to ask you today, what are the idols that are in your life that you've set up? Because you, you don't think you have any. I, I tell you, you do. Them phones in your back pockets, they're idols. The car that you drive is an idol. The house that you live in is an idol. They're, they're, they're idols, and we all have them, including me. And yet, what do they do? Well, we begin to lose our identity. Do you know what I'm speaking to some young people in our church and they were telling me how they're taking the raising of their children tips from Instagram. Anybody heard of happy parenting? Who's a parent at the minute? None of you? There's this thing called happy parenting right now. It is the most God-forsaken thing ever, and there's trouble coming. Because what they do is, oh, we'll only be ever happy with our kids. They'll never see our bad side. I'm like, oh my goodness, the world's in trouble. You see, what are we doing? Well, we're transferring the nature of who God's given us off to the world and we're taking the world's thing in and we're going, well, that must be the way it goes because they don't think the answers are here, including us. And we often will go to the world, we'll go to the idols to fill our lives when God says, no, 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 we got, and, and it's interesting, we got to be in the world but not part of it. We got to know the world and bring a healing hope to it but we ain't meant to be part of it. And the problem with the world is this, is when the world comes in here and we look like the world, the church will lose its power. 
Because the moment you look like the world, we've nothing to offer the world. When the church has its power and knows who it is and brings revival, it actually changes a nation forever. And God wrestled with this one man called Jonah. And you know the story, you can read about it. You've all learned it at Sunday school. For those of you who didn't go to Sunday school, basically about a man who, who God, he, God called him to do something. He ran away and hid. Many of you know what that's like. Yeah, a few of you. And, uh, and, and in order to get him to do the job, he actually got eaten by a whale. And it's a ridiculous story. But he gets swallowed up by a whale and spends three days in the middle of the belly of a whale. The whale takes him to a beach and then barfs him up on the beach in Nineveh. And God's funny like that. I, I just find the Bible, every time I read the Bible, I just see the humor in it. I, I don't know, maybe I just got a warped mind, but I just laugh at some things when you read the scripture. I'm like, of all the things for God to do, like, I know I'll set sail, I'll run away from a calling, and he gets eaten by a whale and then ends up by. I mean, it's a ridiculous story. And yet, what you find is this, is that, that he became an agent of revival for this incredible city. And, and he was recommissioned by God to do, to do what? Well, he, something had to happen in him before he could bring revival. It's really important that you get this. If you want to be a revival car, God, God has to do a work in you. And remember, the work that he does in you is greater than the work he does through you. You see, too many people in the church are more interested in the work that, that we do. And I'm more interested in the work that he does in you. Not about what you do up here, because if I see God doing the work in you, all of a sudden you become a much more healthy person to be able to do the work through you. And actually there's a real process. And the problem with the church is this. It's changed so much in 25 years. You see, before you brought a person in who got saved or became a Christian, you give them a Bible and you brought them to a prayer meeting and you took them 16 meetings a week. And they seem to enjoy that and like that and learn a lot from it. Can I tell you, when you bring someone from the world in today, they're like Matthew, Mark, and Lucas. You know, it's like, who, who, you know, like Rufus and Lucas. They have no idea. And what you've got to do is where we used to start from, and an old generation still try to do that, what we've got to do is we've got to go way back over here. We have to start to teach identity. And we have to start dealing with the rubbish. You know why? Because they're coming in today, not with where the systems were 50 years ago where nobody got divorced or very few people got divorced. What you have now is a generation rife for divorce. I mean, people who are coming in our council room are coming in right now with, you know, <laughs> half siblings and then more half siblings, quarter siblings. It's, it's amazing. And, and they come in and the structure of what God had set up in family is being so eroded that the world's basically saying, hey, it's okay. And they've redefined family. And you only need to see the kids today who are so struggling with their identity don't tell me it's not to do with a lack of love or structures within family. And we've, we've lost the plot. The world's lost the plot. And we're going, how do we fix this? How, how do we bring something to this? And we go, the church is like, right now, I don't know. It's like we've become inept. And until we understand that we have to move this right back to here, and God calls us to move we won't ever know revival. And it has to start back here these days, which is why we have the systems in our church that we have, theotherapy and other things we got, is to help you deal with your rubbish so that you get healthy. Um, one, of the, one of the conversations other pastors had said to me was they couldn't believe how healthy our leadership team was. Yes, there's mess, but there was something coming out of our leadership team that was just stable. And we need stable 
people in the world and God needs you to be stable in order to work through you. If you've got issues in your life, you will be destable and your issues will look like the world's and yet God says, I have brought you into a healing environment, a perfect zone when you step into that place. Well, how do I do that, John? Well, the first thing you do is you go and you hook yourself up with one of our counselors. That's a really good place to start, but it's not the only place to start. Getting on your knees here and repenting, coming in and participating in the week of prayer and fasting. Sorry, I meant to say to Thomas beforehand, we made a decision just to stop all activity tomorrow at church. Our Alpha course and was cancelled. We're cancelling our, our prayer meetings tomorrow. We felt that everything else was closing down. We didn't want anybody to be compromising that. So uh, we're just taking a break from all activity at church tomorrow. Um, and um, whatever looks, that looks like for you, it's up to you what you do with that. But uh, we felt that was an important decision to do. Um, but but we, whenever God calls you to an assignment, and if you don't have an assignment, then uh, you need to find one. Let, let, me, let me read Jonah's assignment. On the, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days, now listen to this. This man goes to the city where they're the worst ever, and he shouts at them. They don't know him from Adam. And something is in his words that is powerful. And God says, he shouts at him, he says, 40 days from now, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Imagine going up into Belfast or down into Patrick or Antrim and going, hey, 40 days from now, you're dead. They would throw stones at you. You're a lunatic. You wouldn't believe him. You do what they've always done. And for some weird reason, whatever was coming out of his words, the people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put their burlap to show their sorrow. Burlap was a dress that they wore, the, the mourning clothes. We see everybody in black this last week. That, that was equivalent to what, what, what they did. And they had lots of different things going on inside them to show that they were in mourning. And they went into this season of fasting. This is the whole city. And the king and his nobles sent his decrees throughout the city, dressed them in sackcloth and ash and heap ashes on their head. And uh, the king had heard about this. He took off his royal robes and he got into sackcloth and ash. I, I, I couldn't believe when I watched what I've watched this week when you see you know, the queen's coffin and the people around it and his family around it and then even the grandchildren yesterday standing in silence, dressed in black or their military uniforms, mourning. And the country's in a season of mourning right now. And I, I really believe spiritually and significantly we're in a time of change. And I actually don't think it's going to get worse. I think it's going to get better. I really, really believe that. And I think we're going to see a time when prosperity will be hammered. You know, when Joseph came along and his family, he, he understood about putting things away. They knew, they, knew that, that, um, uh, they knew that famine was coming. And it says they filled their stores for seven years. Let me tell you something. You need to fill your stores for seven years. And we need to fill the church stores for seven years. Because in a season of drought and famine, the church has to be the answer to the problem out there, like it has always been historically. And the problem with that is we're so busy worrying about our own electric bill. Can I tell you, the electric bills between here and that have just tripled and they were high already. And you're like, God, only you. So what do you do? Well, we have to start putting a season away to prepare for what's coming. It's actually preparing the heart of men. We need to be ahead of the game. If you are hoarding for you, you need to add another person in that community into your mindset. How can I hoard for them? How can I hoard for the church? Why? Because that is how the agents of revival work. And when we go into time of difficulty, actually that's when God does his best work. Do you know the Berlin Wall collapsed because a group of Germans historically prayed for 18 years for the wall to collapse? And the morning that the wall collapsed, they were in the deepest, darkest despair in their country had ever been in. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and the wall collapsed. Guess what happened to the prayer meetings for 18 years? 
they ended. They got a new prosperity in life and they forgot about God. And God does his best work in difficulty. And these guys are in the middle of difficulty. No one, not even the animals, the herds, the flocks, may eat, drink, anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pay, uh, uh, pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. I mean, telling the Assyrians to stop their violence by a crazy man who was spat out of the belly of a whale a day before. I mean, it's just a ridiculous story and yet God somehow managed to get across. Perhaps yet God will change his mind and hold back the fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done, he then put a stop to the, they had put a stop to their evil ways. He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Now here's the thing. God always knew the plan of God was never to destroy the city. He knew it was never going to be destroyed. But the work that he did in Jonah to rise him up as a revivalist and a leader was what God was actually at. Because we know God doesn't change and he doesn't change his mind even though the Bible says that there. We know that God always knew what was going to happen but we didn't. And God into this mix comes along and he, he gives him this place and he, he doesn't add. Can I say, no one is beyond the reach of God. No town, no city, no people group are lost forever. And yet God will save even the wicked among us. But how will they hear if you don't go? How will they know if you don't share? How will they get if they look at you and think they're no different to the world? You know, the church, the church at the moment worldwide is in a lot of shame. Why? Well, because an awful lot of corruption has taken place in leaders, leadership. Dang, the amount of well-known leaders in the world today, in the church world, in the last two years have either collapsed morally or failed internally and are struggling. Even last week, one of my favorite pastors and leaders stood up to repent of, of, of an inappropriate text relationship with somebody. And you're like, Matt Chan, I'm like, this guy is someone who I read and look up and they're dropping like flies because the church structures look like the world. And we were never meant to have a world church. So why? Well, because we took business mentality and we took hierarchical systems, we put them in place and we forgot about the five-fold ministry. And we made leadership and we made teaching the thing and especially in Northern Ireland because what do we all love? Well, we're all, we're all glutton for being taught. Teach me more. Someone, I kid you not, left our church in Antrim, who were coming for a while, uh, came to the conference and said, you didn't teach the, the Bible. You just told stories from the front. I'm like, you know it was a revival meeting, right? And if it had been advertised as a six-point exegesis, uh, you know, of, of T.L. Osborne's hermeneutical spiral, then of course that's what he said. But it was about revival and it was about stories of revival. Why? Because we have sat for 40 years listening to sermon after sermon after sermon being taught and we've done absolutely nothing with it. And we need to change our mindset from not just teaching, though teaching is really important, to experiential. You know, there's no point in me reading about the things Jesus has done and has and continued to do. There's no point in me reading about the miracles and, and reading in Acts. You know, the book of Acts isn't just some lame book. It's the book of Acts. They, that means they had to act. You know, it's not the book of fat Christians sitting in their seat receiving teaching. It's, you know, it's the book of Acts of the apostles. It's getting up your backside and actually doing something. 
and not just doing something, that when you go, you know you carry something of the kingdom of God. You have to have an ability to have a sword that in society, when you swing that spiritual sword, it changes the atmosphere. Oh no, that's not me. I can't do that. Only John Ash or people like that. I know. We'll bring the Bethel ones in. They can do it. They'll show us all how to do it and we'll watch them doing it. And then we'll just go back to the way we used to do it. (laughs) If you don't understand that God wants to do something in you to change your mindset from a teaching legalistic mindset, and please hear me, there is a time when you need to be taught Season where you need to be, you need to be taught, you need to be resourced, you need to read the scripture. If you're not reading the scripture, people say to me, John, why don't we do Bible studies? Well, we do do Bible studies, but I, I want you to do your own Bible study. If you're not reading your Bible every single day and resourcing yourself, I'm, listen to me, you're not a follower of Jesus. If you're not witnessing to people, even oddly regular, semi-regular. You're not a follower of Jesus. I've said that to people and offended a lot of people. I'm like, why are you offended? I'm not saying that. I'm quoting Jesus. It's this him. He says, you want to be my disciple? This is what you got to do. No, I don't want to do that, Jesus. Okay. Well then, don't be my follower. Go off, and, go off into the world and do your own thing. You know, I had a youth leader came to me because there was a, a young girl came and said, I'm done with Christianity. I'm fed up with it all. I'm going off to the world. And I went, let me pray for you as you go. And she's like, what? I said, yeah, I want to pray for you as you go. Let me pray for you as you go. Father, just bless her. I pray for her, Lord. She goes to the world, Lord, that you'd give her everything she wants out there. And away she went, the youth leader's going mad at me. What the heck are you doing, John? Like, what do you want me to do? Tire her with chains and strap her to the wall? No, she needed to go to the world. She came back five years after being in the world. You know what she said to me? Because the world's a real nice place to visit, but I don't ever want to live there. I thought, ah. Sometimes a person that's lived in the world is more effective than a person that's been brought up in the church. Why? Because the church has ruined the bejeebus out of you. We need to change our mindset from an old system, an old way of doing things and take this new wineskin that is how do we carry revival and that understand that God wants to do a work in you. And when he does the work in you, you begin to flow. And if you're not flowing, you've got to ask yourself, what is the problem? Let me give you a couple of things that are definite problems that will be getting in the way. The first thing is your sin. And the church has settled because we've been so grace-minded, we've settled for a bunch of sin. We just went... Anything goes these days. And you see it in the church. And then the next thing you see it in world leaders. And the world church leaders, has, in the last three years, has been amazing. People whose books that I devoured fallen through sexual sin. And if you don't get this right, ah, well, sure, the church doesn't look anywhere in the world. We have a situation where one of our leaders has had an affair. And the young people that the person led got wind of it I'm not coming back to church I'm done with that if that's what your leaders are like why would I bother and you know what they're absolutely right and until we figure out to deal with our sin because it's a it's a it's a nasty old word word that nobody wants to preach anymore you listen to sermons online you know what they're not talking about anymore sin God wouldn't let me away with it 
He would not let me away with not teaching about sin because it's a thing that will stop you from living in revival. If you've got sin in your life, would it tell you something? We've got a great big God that can help you deal with it and we've got a bunch of people here who can really help you deal with it. Let me say about our leadership team. If someone comes into our leadership team and they come and they say, I am struggling with a sin issue, they will get every resource under heaven and our team to help them through that process. That might require them being stood down for a period of time to bring brought back from restor- to restoration. But if, if you're in sin and you're on our leadership team and you come and I find something out, you will be stood down and there'll be very little hope of you ever coming back to leadership. Do you see the difference? Because one's a heart of dealing with your rubbish, the other one is I'm hiding my rubbish. If you're hiding a whole bunch of rubbish under your skin, you need to deal with it. And don't wait. Don't do what you've always done. Hang on, I'll kick it down the road. I'll, 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 I'll leave it in there for another while. Maybe God will take care of it. Nope. I've been waiting for God to take care of sin for a long time. He took care of it 2,000 years ago. We're just hanging on to it ourselves. And you have to deal with your sin. If you're not dealing with your sin, I promise you, you will not be living in revival. The history books of revival in Ireland came as a deep conviction of their sin. Is there mercy for me is the prayer of the ancients of the revivals in Ireland. Because God convicted them of their wrongdoing, of their worldliness. Do you know the stories of revival, if you read them, Ian Pisley has a cracking book, an absolute cracking book. When George was talking about it the other night, Year of Grace. I, I have a copy of it and give it away and I'm like, danged if I could find out who I'd give it to. Apparently you can't get them anymore, except George was telling me a story the other night. The only place you can get them is at Ian Paisley's old church on the Ravenhill Road. And he went up and knocked the door and the caretaker opened it and gave him, he says, I want a year of it. He gave it to him. He says, the only people get these books are the Pentecostals. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Well, because it's full of stories. In a hockle. When the people got saved, 3,000 people, I didn't know there was 3,000 people in a hockle. It was a small village. (laughs) But 3,000 people historically in a hockle got touched by the Spirit of God. It says they got mowed down. They literally bodies lying in the street. Now you've got to mind, this is the days of horse and cart and poop and all that stuff. And it was raining, as it does in Balamina regularly. And it says the bodies were lying on the floor. They were being carried home in the back of carts because they were so... that. It's, and here's what it said. As a result of what God did that night, the, the, the pubs had to close. The police station closed. The judge was paid off because for two and a half years, people stopped drinking, they stopped stealing, they stopped committing crime, and all of a sudden there was no need for a policeman and that. It was kind of, these are historical accounts of what happens when revival comes. People were so convicted of their sin that they just, God just stopped doing this stuff. You read it in Balamani, you read it in, in, in Oma, you read it in Armagh, you read the stories of the ulcer awakening of what took place. In classrooms, teacher teaching on a blackboard looked around and she started noticing members of the class, primary school ages, disappearing. It's like, where are all these people? She, every time she turned, another three had gone. And down, she was down to two kids. She went out the back to find out where they were, couldn't find them, looked over the school wall. They were on their hands and knees crying out to God for mercy, primary school kids. Even they got it. And there's stories in Antrim, I kid you not, where I, one side of a street, every house got touched by the Spirit of God and revived. And on the other side of the street, none of these houses got touched. The weirdest thing when you read about spiritual history. 
and you understand what God does. And I am fed up reading the history books. You know what I want? I want us to understand that when God breaks through in revival, it's because we've got it. We, we have to, the, the second thing that you have to have in order to get revival is hunger. We are so busy filling our necks with all sorts of stuff, not just food. But we're, we're just consuming news. We're consuming, gee, I don't even know what we consume, half the stuff we consume. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm addicted to reels too. Man, just, what nonsense are we watching? Yeah, picking through more. What, we, I, Rachel's sitting in the house, and I laugh. Who watches Googlebox? Put your hands up. Googlebox. We're now watching people who's watching TV. We're literally watching people watching TV. Like, have we lost our minds? There'll be another Googlebox watching people who are watching people watching TV. We've lost the church, we've lost the plot. And the days when the Spirit of God moved because somebody decided to get on their hands and knees and cry out to God for a move, every revival that's ever taken place came from two or three people getting on their hands and knees and praying without ceasing. And Ian Paisley talks about prayer meetings. I, I, I never thought I would see the day I'm quoting Ian Paisley at church. <laughs> what has happened to me? My mother would slap me hard anyway. That's... And he, he shares this story about how he was so done with cold, clinical, unspiritual prayer meetings. And he talked about fiery, hot, white prayer meetings, as only Ian Paisley would. And the man had, would you say what you like about him? The man had the fire of God in him. And if you read the story of how every single person, including his church and his friends, betrayed him because he chose Jesus in the end. And he, didn't give a, he did not give a rip. He, he understood the history of revival and he understood how he wanted to. Now, I do not agree with his politics and I do not agree with his theology, but I cannot take away from him the fact that the man was a passionate, hungry man for the Lord. Where's your hunger? Not in Heather's buns, please. They're lovely, but don't stay there. He, he, we have to get hungry for the things of God, not just the word of God. You see, you know there's two words of God, right? You know that, right? There's the Hologos, Jesus. Yeah. Go and read John chapter one and replace the word word with the word Bible. Have a go. Just have a go when you get home. In the beginning was the Bible and the Bible became flesh and dwelt among us. No. The word is Jesus. He's the word of God. And then we have the written word of God. And the written word of God is to point us to the word of God. And if you're, if you're learning the Bible out of religious systems, you're learn, learn, you should be in the Bible because you're hungry to learn about how do I do these things that Jesus showed us to do? I'm reading the Bible because it's exciting me. And if you're not that hungry, if you're honest with yourselves, I know. Don't lie. Even you good Christians are long in faith. Yeah, stick them in the dust. Best, best prayer times, best Bible study times on the toilet, by far. <laughs> You've no excuse then. Don't be reading the side of the air freshener bottle. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Or you've left your phone there and you're like, oh, dang it, God, what am I going to do in the toilet? 
I'll have to think for myself for the first time in years. No, no, get, get your Bible out and start getting hungry. The, the time in the toilet goes a lot quicker. Maybe you should. <laughs> Hunger. And finally, that, the other thing, I've got loads and loads and loads of them. The other one is expectation. Faith. You, you're pro- the biggest problem in our country is we just don't believe. We, we literally don't believe that God would open a, a deaf ear. We don't believe that God heals today. Oh, we, we say we do. And we read the Bible if we do and we have a belief that, that somebody else can do it and Jesus can do it. You just don't believe I've, I can do that. And until you have a revelation that the Spirit of God in you is greater than the world and that you can do these things and you actually should be doing those things, these weren't, a, these weren't an added option. This is how they lived their lives. You, you, you'll just, ah, not for me. I'm so scundered with Northern Ireland people saying no. People say, why do you bring all these foreigners in from Bethel, John? I said, well, they, they, they come with their complexities. But can I tell you something? I know what's in them. What's put in them. And my job's a whole lot easier. I'd rather work with someone who understands about revival and understands how to carry the Spirit of God and understands all of that stuff and deal with the character stuff than I would the other way around. See, trying to put the Spirit of God into somebody and capture it, it, only God does that. I can't work that out. Why is it some people are more anointed than others? Why is it that when some people lead worship, the Spirit of God falls and when other people do, it doesn't? I have no rhyme or reason for that. All I know, it's probably to do with sin, probably to do with hunger, and probably to do with the lack of faith. Now, your faith cannot contribute, no matter how much you think it does, to the move of God. Let me say that. You don't heal anybody. God heals it. But for some weird reason, the God that flung stars into space came alongside us and said, I'm making you a co-heir with me. I'm adopting you into this kingdom, into this realm. You know, William's just become the Prince of Wales. He's taken his father's title. And, and Charles has now just become King Charles. He's taken a new title. And they, they have systematically in history moved into a new season of their lives. What do we do? We stay in this old season when God said, no, no, I want you to step into a new season where the grace is sufficient and the mantle that God gives you will flow out of you. I pray a weird prayer regularly that streams of living water would flow from it inside their belly because there's something weirdly accurate about that. And when you're praying for people to be healed, do you really believe they'll be healed? Do you really believe that Jesus came alongside you and will use your hands? Because that's what he does. It's like, it's like he, we, Jesus, you come and do it. But the way he works is he comes and does it through us. He chooses it that way, which is deadly strange. Leah, come on back up. The heart of revival will only come, your world will only change when you make a decision when you make a decision to change it. There has to be something in the, in, in the realm of God that when we carry the revival heart that he has, that we capture something about the true message of the gospel. What's the true message of the gospel? Well, it's the Great Commission. And he, he asks us to do four things. Heal the sick, 
Cast out demons, preach the gospel, and raise the dead. Not too many doing the old dead raising thing today. You know, come forth. You know, <laughs> the queues aren't lined up with the morgues going come forth. But imagine, imagine that started to happen. You see, you can't, which, which proves my point nicely. You see, faith to see a dead raising is something that most people will run a mile away from. I, I've personally prayed for maybe 18 or 20 people to be raised from the dead. So far, I haven't had any. But I tell you this, not for the one to try it. You need to get them for their embalmed, by the way, just so you know. Okay. And that's a real miracle, that one. But here's what I know. If Jesus wants to use me to raise someone from the dead, man alive, I would love that. Not because somehow it will glorify John Ash. So some people say that's, that's the truth. But imagine the impact of the kingdom of heaven in an area. If someone in Downpatrick was in the Down Recorder this week, those journey folks prayed for my uncle. He was lying in a coffin and he got out of the coffin. I mean, what a story. Or, or maybe you see someone in Asda this week and they're in a wheelchair and they've, they've wheelied past you and ran over your toes like often those electric wheelchairs do. You ever notice that? Like they can't, they need a driving license. I think should, every one of them should have a driving license. There's one of them on the main road to Ballymena the other day, literally in the middle of the road. You know, five miles of traffic behind them. And you're like, Lord, give us patience. But maybe we should pull them over. Hey, can we pray for you? Would you do, do you want to stay in that wheelchair or not? Do you know, I, I prayed with a deaf person who didn't want to be healed one time. I said, can I pray for you to be healed? No, no, I'm in the deaf community. I want to stay there. Fair enough. That's not what that's about. But if you don't understand the fire of heaven, that you carry this sword, that when you swing it, God moves. And you have to have a new belief about yourself. You have to have a mind shift, a change your world moment where you believe, you know what, God? I'm gonna do it. And you get hungry for more of him and you get hungry for things. Then, and I would say only then, when you have those three things sorted out, you want to see a supernatural? You want to see the things of God moving in your life? I kind of think that's the, that's the recipe. Though the thing about God is there isn't a recipe. Sometimes he just does it. And sometimes he doesn't. And I can't work it out. But I tell you this, it will not stop me from having a good go at it every single time. I'll finish with this. John Wimber said, we used to pray for nobody and nobody got healed. And now we pray for everybody and some people get healed. I can live with that. You know, if you're not shooting goals at the net, you ain't getting any goals. Standing looking at the ball, trying to figure out where to put it is not the way to do it. You all start taking shots, start firing things in the kingdom of God. When you get back to your work or your school, hey, let me, can I tell you, there is a hungry world for this stuff. Hungry. You, and you just don't believe it. Or you do the pity party. Northern Ireland, great. Humble servants. Come on, let's stand. Hey, if you want to, if you want to change your world, if you want revival in your heart, you know, put a hand up to God. Just show Him that you're interested. Come on, in your own place, show God. Hey, I'm interested in change. I'm interested in 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 getting more hungry for you and, and dealing with my stuff. I'm interested.
and change. God, here I am, standing here, unworthy of you, but I know you make me worthy. And I want to do it today, God. And I'm volunteering my time, my effort, my energy to go and serve you all the days of my life. Why? So that we can see the kingdom of heaven and revival come to this place through me. Lord, make me a vessel. Make me a, a ever-flowing pipeline of heaven into my world that I would never stop, never stop pursuing you, never stop being hungry for your word and never stop, Lord, loving you and going after you and your kingdom. And Lord, if there's anybody sick here today, if anybody's in need of healing, right now in Jesus' name, I pray you come and heal Jesus. Every sickness, every disease, everything, Lord, that has, has caused problems in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those that are dealing with identity issues, Lord, that they would know who they are. Lord, that they would be transferred out of the old kingdom of, of I don't know who I am into a kingdom of I know exactly who I am today, God. Lord, I just pray for a lease of hunger. Lord, make us so hungry. Dangle the carrot of your kingdom in front of us and may we never stop chasing it. In Jesus' name we pray.